Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, City Walk Church. Morning, all right. You guys enjoying the, the nice weather out? I saw a few people were, were uh, doing fall things yesterday. Have you, ever, have you done any fall stuff yet? Have you like ate an apple, got a pumpkin yet, any of those things? Well, that, that's all about to start happening. Those are fun times. Uh, we're actually, as a, as a church, uh, here in a few weeks, we rented a few of the fire pits at uh, Bishop's Pumpkin Farm, and so we'll tell you more about that, but we're going to have a fun night, I think on October 20th. Uh, it's going to be a fun time together, and so hope your week has gone good, and I hope today will be a, just a really good day uh, for you to get started in your week. I hope your football team does really well, your fantasy football team does really well, and if you're somebody that doesn't care, then don't, I'm sorry that I said that. Uh, my wife's one of those people like, what? You actually have fantasy football? What kind of crazy life is this? Uh, but I uh, hope your, your day has started off well. Next week is probably, after next week, will be my favorite day at City Walk Church. And here's why. Next week is uh, another one of our family services where when we have a fifth Sunday, what we do is we bring our elementary age kids in and we do a family service. We're also going to be doing communion next week. And then probably the thing I'm most excited about is after the service, we're going to head out behind the building and we're going to have five people go public with their faith and be baptized. And so... And it's going to be a really, really fun Sunday, and, and I was looking at the weather, and actually next Sunday is going to be the coldest day of the year so far. And so you have to really love Jesus to get baptized next Sunday, and we actually have five people that do, and so uh, next Sunday is going to be a really fun day, and so make sure you're here. If you're one of the people that's going to be getting baptized uh, right after the service, uh, Pastor Steve is going to, right in this section over to my right, is going to have a, a short meeting with you. And so just after the service, meet Pastor Steve up here, and uh, he'll, he'll go over some things that will help you for next week. Uh, but it's going to be a really fun Sunday that you're not going to want to miss. Uh, yesterday was my, my daughter's 15th birthday, Julia. And uh, so we went, absolutely, she's, she loves it when I embarrass her. Uh, but we went to uh, one of our favorite places, and one of the things that she likes to do is we went to San Francisco. And uh, we went, and, and I, I reminded myself, why do you go to San Francisco on Saturdays? Uh, we should have chosen another day, but we still had a really good day. And, it, and you know this, if you live in this area, or you've lived in this area for a long time, man, when you go to San Francisco, San Francisco is a city that is, there's really two San Franciscos. There's the part that you see on postcards. And there's the part that you get your picture taken in front of. You go to the Golden Gate Bridge and you get a picture or two. And you maybe go to the, the Ferry Building or Pier 39 and you, you eat some clam chowder. or you, Man, you do the stuff that you're supposed to do when you're in San Francisco. 
And, and then, like we did yesterday, you end your day at, at you know, a, I think a place that looks a lot like heaven, Ghirardelli Square, uh, where you get, you know, ice cream, hot chocolate, they pass out free chocolate, it's a beautiful thing. And, and so you go to all those things, and it, man, it's a, it's a fun city when you do that. And San Francisco, whoever's in charge there, man, they do a really good job making that outside look at San Francisco look great. And everybody gets a cool picture in front of their favorite thing, and they go home because, and remember the great things about San Francisco. But you, if you've been there, you know this too. Once you get past the tourist attractions, and once you get past kind of the, the what they want you to think about San Francisco, when you dig a little deeper into that city... There's some real ugliness in that city. And there's some parts of town that you got to watch where you're stepping because you might step in something that you don't want to step in. And it didn't come from an animal. It came from a human. And then there's parts of the city that, man, you don't want to go in maybe when you're by yourself at night because it's not a great part of the city. But, but San Francisco is a lot like us, and here's what I mean. Man, they do a really good job on the outside making everything look great and glamorous and, and shiny. But on the inside, there's some ugliness. And we've talked about this over the last few weeks, how we, in many ways, from a very early age, have been trained to do the exact same thing. When you were a little kid, you, you knew, like, you, your parents made clear to you there were certain things you didn't do, there were certain things you didn't say, there were certain places you didn't go, there were certain places you didn't fall on the ground and give up, do a temper tantrum. There were just, you, you kept things looking good on the outside. Whether your heart was ugly or not, you knew how to make things look all right on the outside. You did behavior modification 101 as a child and you got really good at it because you knew this that man if I if I step over this line even though in my heart I want to but I, if I step over this line or I, I say this or I, I I do this or I don't do this there's a consequence and so that consequence helped you modify your behavior but when you get older, and, and here's what we've done as adults, if you're an adult, when we get older, there, there's not necessarily a parent standing over us saying, hey, don't do this or do do this. And so what we do is we create filters ourselves. And we create a, a very sophisticated filtering system that's inside of us that helps us say, you know what, I'm thinking this, but I know I'm not supposed to let that out. And man, I really want to do this, or I really want to go there, but I know what that does, and so my filter stops me. But at the end of the day, there's times that our filter doesn't stop us, and we end up saying things like, oh, wow, that's just not like me. Or where did that come from? And what's happened is our filter has broken down, and our heart has begun to show and it was this, this struggle that has been going on since the beginning of time that led a father to write to his children and say this in Proverbs chapter 4. And this is a verse that we've looked at over the past few weeks. He said this, Solomon said, he said, keep or guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. 
Solomon, as he's writing, and a lot of the Proverbs is a father speaking to his children. As he's writing to his children, he says, hey, I want you to do do something for me. I want you to guard your heart. I, I want you to guard it with all vigilance. Because of out of it flows life. Like your life, everything that's in your heart, all the, the things that are down deep, they, they come out in your marriage, they come out in your parenting, they come out in how you treat people, they come out in your job. It's really where all of life comes out of. And so Solomon writing to his kids, he says, hey, guard your heart. And, and if you're honest, and, and I have to say this about myself too, we work sometimes to exhaustion. To make things look good on the outside when inside the heart is ugly. And you and I both know this, that you are only as healthy as your heart. We we can fake people out on the outside. We can make the outside look really good. But at the end of the day, physically, spiritually, emotionally, you are only as healthy as what's going on in the inside. We're only as healthy as our heart. And sometimes... When we have issues in our heart, we talked about envy last, last week, and we're going to talk about some other things this week, but, but when we have these things going on in our heart, they feel like weights, like something's going on in our heart, and, and if we're honest, a lot of times when we have something going on in our heart, instead of dealing with it, we avoid it. We, we, we try to mask it. We, we do anything we can to not have to deal with what's really going on on the inside. And so we avoid it instead of dealing with it. Because at the end of the day, it's really uncomfortable to deal with our stuff. It's really uncomfortable to, to dig in and deal with my envy or my lust or my guilt, or my you fill in the blank, it's really ugly to get in there and dig into that. It's a lot easier to pretend it's not there and avoid it. It's like the guy, and and I know a guy that that did this, and you probably have a a name you could fill in the blank for this. It's it's the guy that says, you know what? I'm not going to go to the doctor because I don't want to know what's really going on. And so they pretend nothing's going on inside, until the cancer eats them up. But they didn't want to go to the doctor because they really didn't want to know what was going on on the inside. And so they felt like, hey, if I don't go to the doctor, I can at least avoid dealing with it. And at the end of the day, it always comes back to bite and hurt. Because you, you know this, you, you can't pretend cancer isn't there. It doesn't just fix itself. You you can't pretend envy's not there. It doesn't just automatically get better. When we don't deal with our heart, it leaves a path of destruction. And in this series, what we've tried to do so far is instead of avoiding dealing with our heart, we've tried to lean into the things that are going on in our heart. We've tried to lean into the weight that's going on in our heart and say, hey, instead of avoiding it, which might be easier... I'm going to deal with it. Last week, we leaned into envy. And and when we talked about envy, we talked about this idea that envy is looking to someone or something else as a reference point to tell me I'm okay. 
It's me looking at you and saying, you know what, I've got a little bit more than he does, so I'm okay. It's me looking to my job security and saying, you know what, my, my job's okay, and so you know what, I'm okay. It's me looking to how my kids are doing and saying, you know what, all right, my, my kids are doing okay, so I'm okay. But where envy happens is we begin to look at other people and say, you know what, I deserve what they have because if I had what they had, then I'd be okay. And we talked about envy and how at the end of the day, envy is not an issue with another person. It's actually an issue with God. It's an issue where we're saying, you know what, God, if you would do this for me, if you would give me this, if this wouldn't happen to me like with the other person, I'd be okay. So it's really an issue with God. And so what we tried to do last week is we tried to help ourselves begin to move our reference point from our job, our kids, or whatever it is you look at to tell you you're okay, and we tried to move our reference point to Jesus so that we could celebrate what God has given others and fully leverage what God has given us. And we can't do that when Jesus isn't our reference point. And so we talked about that. Today, we're going to talk about another heart issue that we carry around and has incredible impact in our lives and in the lives of those we love. And that's the issue of guilt. And you know this, that, that guilt has a way of, of actually starting pretty young. I remember my daughter Kate, I have a six-year-old daughter named Kate, and uh, she was kind of our surprise child as we had two kids kind of in middle school and, and kind of doing their thing. All of a sudden, here comes Kate, not planned, but happy she's here now, but that was, she was our, our surprise child. And Kate has this, and I hope she always does, but she has a, a pretty sensitive spirit. And so when we tell her, hey, Kate, you need to eat good, you need to not eat these things, you know, it's not good for you to eat too much ice cream, like she takes that stuff seriously. And so when she's with her grandpa, and this has happened, and if you know her grandpa, you'll understand this, he's actually here, her grandpa is like her dad who likes ice cream. And so there's literally been times where they have had to FaceTime us when she's with her grandpa to ask if it's okay for her to have ice cream with her grandpa because she has this like guilty conscience in her that she doesn't want to make us it's like Kate just eat the ice cream and wipe it off your face so we don't know about it we'll teach you how to do that later but but I mean she has this this issue as a little kid and so we're trying to say you know what if your grandpa says it's okay we trust him and, and, and you know you can have ice cream but but you know this guilt starts at a really really early age and Honestly, and this is kind of sad to say, the church has been infamous for leveraging guilt. The church is like the gold medalist for leveraging guilt in our society. But what's interesting is Jesus never did. Jesus never leveraged guilt to get people to follow him, but yet sometimes his followers are like the best at leveraging guilt. One of Jesus' followers, and you, you know his name, whether you've grown up in church or not, is a guy by the name of Paul. And Paul, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, as he was writing to some people that were telling people not to do things that they were doing themselves, he writes this to them. He says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? And then this is really important. Not knowing that God's kindness 
is meant to lead you to repentance. Look at the last part of that. God's anger is meant. God's power, God's, no, no, no. What, what is it that God uses to lead people to turn towards him? He uses kindness. But yet many of his followers, including myself, and probably if you're honest, you've leveraged guilt over the years, use guilt to, to, we leverage guilt to get people to do what we want them to do. But the person we're following said, you know what? I don't leverage guilt. What I do is I leverage kindness. And that kindness leads people to turn to Jesus, not guilt. And one of the things that's really interesting is, is if anybody could have leveraged guilt, it would have been Jesus. I mean, Jesus was perfect. Nobody could point at Jesus and say, hey, don't talk to me about this because I saw what you did on Friday night too. See, no, nobody could do that because Jesus was perfect. And so if there was a guy that could leverage guilt and be okay, it would have been Jesus. But he never did. In fact, the people that leveraged guilt in his day were the most guilty people. And that's kind of what you find. is usually the people that leverage guilt the most are the most guilty themselves. But Jesus never leveraged guilt. And I believe he knew obviously that guilt was extraordinarily unhealthy. And he knew it wasn't really going to help people with their hearts. See... You know this about guilt if you've experienced it. Guilt has a way of doing two things. It has a way of debilitating. When you feel guilty for something, when there's something that's weighing you down on the inside, it has a way of debilitating you. Or on the other side, it has a way of, of, help, of making you be arrogant. Where you're leveraging guilt and you almost feel better than somebody else because of the guilt that they should feel because they did you wrong. And either way, it's extremely unhealthy, and it can't be dealt with on the surface. It can't be, hey, if you'll just sit in this one class, or you'll just do this one thing, or you'll just change this one thing on the outside, it's not something that you deal with on the outside, it's something that has to be remedied on the inside in the heart. Because haven't we tried all the things on the outside? Some of us, maybe you've been dealing with guilt for decades, and you've tried all the stuff. But maybe you've never looked inside and dealt with your heart. And, and here's why guilt is so devastating. is simply this. This is what guilt says. Guilt says, I owe you. See, envy says God owes me, but guilt says I owe you. Guilt sets up a debt-debtor relationship. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because as you think back at your life and, and some of the things that you struggle with guilt over, you think about that first marriage and, and in your mind, whether you've ever said it, you're like, I owe that first marriage. Or I owe, I owe a childhood to that kid that I wasn't a good parent for. Or I owe this idea that I stole. Or I owe, and, and you fill in the blank because in your mind there's something that's telling you, hey, you did somebody wrong. You took something from somebody, and so you owe them, and that's exactly the message of guilt. I owe you. In fact, we, we even have language that we put around it. We say things like, hey, I owe you an apology, which isn't a bad thing to say. 
Or, or we say, hey, let, let me make it up to you. Like, hey, I'm, I'm in, I, I owe you. And so we've even put language around this debt-debtor relationship that we have with guilt. And, and when we feel the weight of guilt, sometimes what happens is we, we feel the weight of guilt over the years and we forget that it's even inside of us. And so, for, for instance, I brought my backpack up here. Some of you, you say, you did some not smart things in college. And, and you did some things that you're kind of ashamed of, honestly, that maybe nobody knows about. And so what you did is you took that guilt and, and you, without even knowing it, you brought it into your marriage. And then you did that one thing on that business trip that you're not proud of and, and you added that to the guilt and before you know it, you are carrying that around too, and you, you forgot, you forget that it's even on there. You don't know how it really affects you. You don't realize that it's affecting other people, but, but it is. There, there's some things going on in your marriage that, that man, you, you've, you've done some things that you're not proud of, and there's some, some guilt associated with that, and, and, and you know there's some things you need to make right, and, and, and so you put that in the backpack, and you take that with you to work. And so before you know it, you forget that what, what you're carrying around with you and you're taking it into every relationship and every place and it's just building up and you're doing your very best like I do to mask it and make it look good on the outside and, and every now and then you start to feel guilty or there's a weight and you do whatever you have to do to kind of push that away instead of dealing with it. And so it, as far as you know, you'll just carry this to, to your grave. And it'll have detrimental effects on every relationship that you're in, and you won't even know it. You won't even know what freedom feels like because you've just carried it around for so long, and you think that's kind of what you do. But that's not what you do. See, underneath guilt, many times, is this anger. And, and maybe you've experienced this, where, where there's this anger inside and, because you're kind of angry at yourself. I shouldn't have. I wish I wouldn't have. And so people that are guilty, and maybe you've, you, if you look in the mirror long enough, maybe you'd see this about yourself. Sometimes people that are deal with guilt are the most impossible people to be around because they've let themselves down so much, they feel like you're going to let them down too. And so it's tough to have a relationship with them. And honestly, they don't even know it. It's, they're just carrying it around into every relationship, and they don't even know how it's affecting them. See, you, we, we, we kind of hear this lie, and we repeat this lie that, you know what? I can handle this thing. And so we keep it in the dark instead of doing the thing that's going to help heal it and give freedom, and that is bringing it into the light. See, I wrote this in my notes. Guilt is a heart issue that grows in the dark but is eradicated in the light. And part of bringing guilt into the light is a word that is misunderstood a lot, and it's the word confession. Part of bringing guilt from the darkness into the light and beginning the journey of freedom is a thing that, that, that according to the tradition you grew up in and religion, is the word confession. And when we think about the word confession, there's, there's an obvious thought, obviously a confession to God, and it starts with God. 
where we're, we're, we're struggling with guilt. There's something in our heart that we've, we've done or something that, that we know is there that maybe even nobody else knows about. And in order to start the, the journey of freedom and to get, get freedom from this guilt, we start by confessing to God. We bring it into the light. Not like he doesn't know already. Sometimes we think God doesn't know. He's like, I've, I've known that the whole time. You just, I don't know why we haven't talked about this. So we bring it out into the light. And, and we don't bring it out into the light because we need to be forgiven from God. Because when, when Jesus went to the cross, and, and when he died on the cross, he paid the price for every sin, past, present, and future. That means when Jesus died on the cross, the one or two things that are inside of you that you think, hey, I, nobody knows about this, or what do I do with this? Jesus said, yeah, I already paid for that. Why are you allowing it to kind of kill you on the inside and kill relationships when I've actually already paid the price for that? And it's not about forgiveness. It's about a heart issue that you can make right and have freedom in. And so it starts with God. But then what it does, and this makes so much sense as you look in Scripture, the Scripture talks more about confessing to man than confessing to God. But if we're honest, confessing to God's a little easier. Like me and God, we, we, we're straight. Like we got it taken care of. Now talking to my wife about it or talking to the person at work and confessing to them or, you know, those things, that's something I'll just keep it between me and God. And you've been doing that and you haven't gained any freedom because it's important to confess to God, but it's also important to confess to a human being. In fact, look at Scripture. It's throughout Scripture, even in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 5, and we're going to look at a few passages, different parts of Scripture that talk about this. Look at Numbers chapter 5, and we'll have it up on the screen. It says this, verse 5, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel when a man or woman commits any of the, sign, of the sins that people commit by, by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt... He shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth. Aren't you glad you don't live in the Old Testament? To it and giving it to him whom he did wrong. So all the way back to Moses, and we could look at a lot of different passages. As God was setting up Israel and kind of how Israel would work and, and, and building this nation, he said, hey, let me, let me talk to you about something that's important. He said, hey, if somebody does somebody wrong, they need to confess. They need to make restitution. They need to make it right. When you sin against man, you sin against God. When you sin against God, you sin against man many times. And so he said, you, you need to make it right. But then if you look in the uh, New Testament, and if you grew up in church, you, you know this, and maybe if you didn't, you, you would still know it. Remember the, who's the, the wee little man in church in the New Testament? You had a little song, and, and probably it's starting to go off in your head now. You haven't sang that song for a, a while, but remember Zacchaeus was a wee little man, you know, all the, and we could start right now. In fact, next week's a family service, so maybe we'll break out flannel graph, like old school, and a few Zacchaeus songs. But remember Zacchaeus, like cool character in the Bible, but man, he was, a, he was kind of a bad dude before he met Jesus, and he wasn't real popular. Uh, he, he was a guy that basically was a thief, and he was, he, he was connected to the, the, 
the, the group that everybody hated, and he was basically taking money for them, and so he, he wasn't real popular. But remember what happened, and if you didn't grow up in church, basically Zacchaeus, he, he was a little dude, I don't know like what little meant, but it, the, he was a short guy to the point where when Jesus came to town, he knew he wasn't going to be able to see Jesus over the crowd. And so what Zacchaeus did is he climbed up the tree, and he basically was hanging out in the tree watching, and Jesus came to the tree and said, hey, little guy, come down, let's go have a meal together. He, Jesus went to his house, which Jesus took a little flack for going to his house, but Jesus never cared. He didn't care about guilt by association. That wasn't a big deal to Jesus. So he went and hung out with Zacchaeus. And, and, and if you read through the passage, he didn't like preach a message to Zacchaeus. He didn't tell Zacchaeus all the things he should change. He just hung out with him. And then look what happens. After he's been kind of hanging out with Zacchaeus uh, for a few minutes, kind of having a meal with him, it says this in Luke chapter 19, verse 8. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. Not, not 20% extra. I will give them four times what I've stolen. And then it says this, And Jesus said unto Zacchaeus, Don't get carried away. Thou hast confessed, and it is enoughth that thou hast confessed thy sin to me in private. And if you're not following along, you just read through that and like, oh, wow, I didn't know the word enoughth was in the Bible. Well, that last verse was an entirely fake verse that I just made up. Because Jesus never said to Zacchaeus, oh, heck, yeah, buddy, you, you've, you've talked to me about it. Don't, oh, don't get carried away and go, like, make it right with people. He never said that. Because when, when Zacchaeus said, hey, I feel led to, man, give four times. I want to make this right with people. I want to confess. I want to pay restitution. Jesus was, yeah, go. Good idea. Because Jesus knew that, and, and, and again, he hadn't, like, preached a message on confession but when he spent time with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus' heart began to change, which happens when you spend time with Jesus. And Zacchaeus said, hey, I feel led and I need to make this right. Another New Testament example, and you've, you've maybe heard this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, it says this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Like, like if you've done something wrong to somebody and so somebody's upset at you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Basically what it's saying is before making things right with God, go make things right with other people. If you come to the altar and you're, you're about to give a gift to God and you feel that you've done something wrong to somebody, leave your gift there and go find that person and make it right and then come back and, and give your gift to God. Because a healthy heart is a heart that's at peace with God, at peace with other people, and at peace with ourselves. James, Jesus' brother, he said it this way in James chapter 5, verse 16. He said, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
Let me read that again. Confess your sins to one another. You know when you do that, it's not fun. When you confess your fault to somebody else, it actually might get more complicated for a few days than before. But it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed on the inside. See, there's something wrong on the inside and the the path to experiencing healing is when we deal with our heart. And, And for some of us, we have carried around with us guilt that we think, and and maybe we haven't said this out loud, but in our heart, this is kind of what we think. You know what? I'm just going to always carry this with me. I'll just, you know what? I'm just going to have to live with this. You may have even said it that way. And and you, there's times where it's okay, and then there's other times where, man, you feel that guilt, and it weighs you down, and and, and you try your best maybe to mask it or to kind of stiff arm it so that it, it never gets too serious. You never have to deal with it. But God wants to give us freedom, but it's freedom that can only happen when we dig into our heart on the inside. See, the goal of confession isn't just to have a clear conscience, it's to have a changed heart. It's not to, oh, I feel better now because I told him. No, it's by confessing, actually something happens on the inside that's really good and healthy and healing. And yeah, I'm glad my conscience is better too. That's great. But that's not the the goal isn't that I can sleep at night because I have a clear conscience. The goal is that I would have a heart that's healthy, changed because of what Jesus did inside me. And, and, and maybe there's some pushback. Maybe, maybe in your mind you're like, honestly, Chris? And you might have a specific thing in your mind. If I confess this, it's going to hurt people. If, if I come clean with this thing, it's going to hurt people. And, and that's kind of your pushback. And that's maybe the, the lie you've been telling yourself all along is that, hey, I'm just going to have to hold on to this kind of all the way through life because if I actually bring this up and if I actually bring this into the light, people are going to get hurt. I wrote this in my notes. Confession doesn't hurt people. Sin hurts people. Concealment hurts people. I remember, and I've shared with you guys before, Lori and I, we've been married for 22 years almost, and uh, you know, several years into our marriage, man, we went through a really, really rocky time to the point where we were in a counselor's office about every week for six months, and most of our counseling was every now and then it would just one-on-one, I would meet with the counselor, or Lori would, but most of it was together, and I can remember one of those times and it probably more than one of those times, but I remember my counselor saying this to me. And I, I have you ever say anything to somebody and think when you say it you feel good and like, oh yeah, see now he's going to be happy, and then they come back and like slap you upside the face with the two by four. It's like, oh wow, I didn't know it was going to go bad when I said it that way. But but I remember, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but basically there was something that I had not talked to Lori about, and I, I said this like a noble husband. Well, I don't want to talk with Lori about that because I don't want to hurt her. And Lori's sitting right there, my counselor is there, and he says, Chris, you're not worried about hurting Lori. You're worried about hurting you, and you're worried about your life getting more complicated 
by you not telling Lori. And so you don't, don't like make this thing look like, oh, I'm just trying to not hurt Lori. No, 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 no. You're not trying to hurt yourself and make your own life complicated. That's why you don't want to talk to your wife about this. And I think sometimes we believe that lie that, oh, I'm just trying to not hurt people. At the end of the day, I'm trying to make my life not complicated. And in order for me to gain freedom and in order for me to see something healthy on the inside that maybe I've never experienced, it means I'm going to have to make my life complicated for a little while in order to have health for the rest of my life. And sometimes we believe this lie and actually trade off complication for a little while for health for the rest of our life. So the question is, and we've asked this question as you think about guilt, how's your heart? How's your heart? How's your heart as, you, as it relates to guilt? Is there some guilt in your heart that, that's kind of weighing you down on the inside? And we've said it this way in this series. We said, the weight you feel is a window into what God wants to reveal. And instead of kind of stiff arming that weight we feel or trying to push it away, maybe it's time that we lean into that weight and deal with it. So the question is, I mean, are you going to lean in? Am I going to lean in? Or am I going to stiff arm stuff, the weights that are in my heart, and just pretend that they're not there? And kind of carry them around into relationship after relationship, into workplace, into, into different places that I go? Is, or am I going to ever gain some freedom? See, the reason we fear confession is because we don't fear the consequences of concealment. See, the consequences are, are and this is thing, I want you to think about this. The consequences of concealment are going your whole life with your past not being your past. Your whole life with that thing you did or that thing you, 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 you said or that, that thing that you feel that you owe somebody that should be in your past. There should be freedom from that never being in your past. See, it's going your whole life with regret and shame devouring you and it's affecting every relationship. And here's what's important to remember. When we hide stuff, there's a part of us that's not available to others. When I hide stuff in my heart, there's something inside me that I can't give to somebody else because I'm hiding it. And there's a part of it that, that needs to come out and get clean so that I can give that to somebody else. And so, but, but, but the devil lies to us so much. And so what we do is we carry this stuff around and we just think, I'm just going to deal with it. See, I want you to kind of put these things on, kind of on two sides of the paper, and, and I want you to think about it. Here's confession. Because I don't want to pretend like confessing is easy. Because it's not. It's complicated. But concealment is a lot worse. Confession, the consequences are tangible, usually immediate, and impact a handful of people. Like when you confess something, yeah, there's some consequences immediately. And, and it does impact a few people. But concealment, the consequences are intangible. Like we don't even know what, how it's affecting people. It impacts every relationship and it lasts a lifetime. 
And so we can either confess, and, and yeah, it's tough for a while, and it affects a few people, or we can conceal, and, and, and we don't know how many people it's affecting, and it lasts forever. And we never gain freedom. And so it, it's important that we think, you know what, and we, and we need to remember this, confession frees us from the weight of guilt. And so we just have to decide. Like, am I okay? Like, think about it. You, Am I okay just toting this thing around into every relationship? And yeah, it's affecting relationships, but nobody knows what's really affecting the relationship, so I'm keeping that hidden, even though it's affecting every single relationship I'm in. Or am I willing to say, you know what? You know, getting this thing off me might be a little complicated, but it's worth the complication to have freedom. And, and if that's kind of where you're at, then, then really the first step is, like I said earlier, be honest with God. D- don't hide from the one person who has given you unconditional love, grace, and wants desperately for you to be free. Don't hide it from God. In fact, the Bible says it this way. I've shared this verse before. God resists the proud, but he gives, pours on grace to the humble. And and so we we confess to God. And and here's what you need to know about you. And and what I have to remind myself is, you know what? You're actually worse than you think, just like I am. Like you're worse than you can imagine, as am I. But God's grace is more extraordinary than you and I can fathom. And so, yeah, we are ugly on the inside, and we got junk on the inside, and God wants to help us deal with it on the heart level. But but we have to remember as we bring it out into the light, we're bringing it out into the light in a place where there is grace that is unfathomable and freedom that's available. And so we, we have to be honest with God, but then we have to confess to somebody. And so obviously, if it's, if it's somebody that you've wronged, if it's, hey, man, this person I've wronged, and I can't make it up, I can't, I can't fix everything that I've ever done in the past, I can't give back everything that I've taken, but I can be honest with that person, and I can confess to that person that I have wronged them. And that's a huge step. And maybe if it's somebody that you haven't wronged, but it's, it's something that you've done in your own life that maybe nobody knows about, but you feel tremendously guilty. It might mean confessing to somebody that loves you, that loves Jesus, that you can go to and say, hey, nobody knows this about me. And I've been carrying this around for You fill in the blank, and I want to gain freedom. And so I'm going to be honest with you about what's gone on in my life. And for some of us, man, that is the step we need to take to gain the freedom we desperately want. And that health, that literally... That, that weight, and, and you know because we've all felt it, it's that weight of guilt that, that we carry around, but yet when we confess, yes, though it might be complicated, it's almost like immediately the weight comes off, and it doesn't mean the consequences go away, it doesn't mean everything's better quick, but man, I can breathe again. 
There's some freedom. And that's what Jesus wants for us. Because honestly, he didn't die on the cross so that you would, be, would carry guilt around all your life. He died and paid for our sin so that we could walk through this life free men and women on the inside. As, as I close, I wanted to, wanted to say something to my, my dads in here. Be, because I'm a dad... And so here's what I know about dads, and you don't have to admit this, but I'll I'll say it for you. You're insecure. We're insecure. We don't know what we're doing, and we know we don't know what we're doing. And we do our best to front and, and pretend, but at the end of the day, we're insecure. And most of us aren't big feeling people. So we're, we're, we don't like to have necessarily the big feeling conversations. And so what we do is we stay really busy so that we never have to have those conversations where we actually bring things out into the light and we just, because we're insecure, we already know we're not doing the job that we hope we would have done, we just kind of never confess and just keep rolling. But, but here's what we have an opportunity to do if we're a dad or if you're the single mom in your home that's playing both roles. We have an opportunity to set a culture in our family. A culture that says, you know what, in our family, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay and admit you're not okay and then confess it and get right with God and with those you've hurt. It's okay And so we have to lead the way. We have to lead the way and say, you know what? Hey, when I've done something wrong, man, I'm going to sit my kids down and I want to say, hey, I shouldn't have talked to you that way. My tone with your mom was wrong. I'm I'm sorry for that. I confess that. Would you forgive me? And, And as we do that, then we send a message in our family that says, you know what? When I do something wrong, I don't have to pretend or hide. I can come clean quick. And so I hope that's the the culture that we're setting in our families. And I can only speak for dads because that's who I am. And I feel like if if dads would say, you know what, we're going to set a culture in our home where it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to talk about it. I think it would change a lot of hearts. And it would change maybe generations. And so how are things in your heart? Any secrets? Any relationships that have been affected that you kind of just pretend they haven't really been affected by things you've done? Anybody that, that there's some judgmentalness towards somebody that, man, you, you need to just maybe come clean with that person? Any, any people that, you know what, in your life you kind of walk on eggshells around because you know you've kind of wronged them and you're kind of hoping it never comes out? Are you trying to relieve your conscience without gaining freedom and bringing things into the light? See, back to our verse that we started with, Proverbs 4.23, Solomon said it this way. He said, keep or guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows life. Let's pray.
God, I come before you this morning and I come before you, Lord, in, the, in a room with people, including myself, that in their lifetime have dealt with guilt. And Lord, there may be someone here, in fact, I'm pretty sure there's probably several people that, that if we're honest, that there is a weight of guilt on the inside. There, there's a weight on the inside that tells us that we owe and we've just lived with that and thought that's kind of what normal was. But 2,000 years ago, you came to this earth. You lived a perfect, sinless life. You died on a cross. You shed your blood. And you paid for every one of our sins, past, present, and future. They put your body in a grave, and three days later, you rose from the grave, proving to all of eternity that you had defeated the power of sin and death. And so, God, I pray for each of us, Lord, if there are things in our heart that we, if we're honest, would say, hey, I've been carrying this around, but I need to bring it into the light so that I can have freedom. Lord, I pray you would press us and that we would be obedient. As we, we close, I want to just give you a, a second. Just in the quietness of this room. To just ask God, and whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, would you just be willing to ask God, God, is there anything on the inside that's affecting my heart? that I've, I'm pretending isn't there, that I maybe have been pretending for a long time, and I've kept it in the dark, and it never goes away when it's in the dark. Would you just ask God to, to just show that to you? And then in the quietness of this room, would you be willing to just come clean to God? And, and, and you're just saying, God, I confess this. I, I know I've been forgiven, but I, I'm confessing. Basically, I'm agreeing with you, God, about what this sin has done in me. Would you be willing to just come clean? And then, in the not near or not too distant future, would you be willing to take another step? And would you be willing to confess to someone else? I know it's complicated. I know that's, that's a tough step to take, but, but it's, it's the choice you have to make whether you're going to carry it around for the rest of your life and it's going to affect every relationship or whether you're going to have freedom and rest from your guilt. God, I pray that you would work inside of us. I pray that you would point out to us with clarity, Lord, the things in our heart that are holding us back from freedom. And Lord, I pray that we would do the hard things we need to to make those right. And Lord, we know that your grace is waiting and it's empowering us. It's ready. And Lord, I pray we would step into it. In Jesus' name, amen.